Truth. How do we discover it? How do we understand it? And how do we apply it? These foundational questions of life can be answered in the pages of God's Word, the Bible. Through the systematic study of Scripture, we seek to equip women with a growing understanding of truth, which only comes by knowing the God of all truth. This is the Theology Matters Podcast. Welcome to season three of the Theology Matters podcast. Did you think we'd ever make it to season three, Wendy? Why do you ask me a question like that? No, I didn't. I was shocked we ever went to season one. <laughs> well, we are back for season three, yeah. and uh, I'm Laura Columbus. And obviously, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm here with Bethany Drum and with Wendy Blackwell. And yeah, at this point in time, we've actually finished our third semester of our class, which is hard to believe. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to to get back into the podcast and. Um, to discuss some of the doctrines. And today we're going to actually talk about two doctrines, anthropology and homardiology. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you guys to tell me about something that you enjoy in nature. I guess I'll go first. Sure. Um, uh, I, uh, trees. I love trees. Except for maybe in the fall when you have to pick up all the leaves around here. <laughs> but I love trees. I just love all different kind of trees. I'm from the south. I remember I love all the the oaks and the Spanish moss. Um, but I just love different kind of trees. I love a lake surrounded by trees. It's just so beautiful. So I love trees. Same. Same. I love trees. What about you, Wendy? You know what I remember about you and loving trees, Laura, is you like the dark trees against the sky, and you have driven me to taking pictures while I'm driving, and I <laughs> see these silhouettes of trees, And but I'm safe. I'm safe. I do that. Um, I feel like this is a test question, because as we were talking about, this was asked before, so I think it's to see if we're consistent, but um, I'm going to hold consistent, and, my, and one thing I love in nature is sunsets. Um, I just think the colors you see, it's just incredible um, when God closes the day and, and almost reminds us of his mercies, new mercies coming tomorrow um, when he closes it with such a beautiful sunset. So, yeah, that's where I am. Yes, I do love, I love the trees and the sunset and in the winter when there are no leaves on the tree, which mm-hmm. is usually... It's a different kind you know, of beauty. It is. It's just a different kind of beauty. But I was thinking, you know, I also just love the water. So I mm. love, you know, when people ask, do you, are you a lake person or an ocean? I'm like, I, I just like water. I'll just be around water, um, like a creek if you're out for a walk and you're mm-hmm. walking by the creek. So it's just so peaceful and restful and yeah. I just any 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 form of water is is good with me. <laughs> All right. Well, we will uh, jump in, and since we are talking about two doctrines, my first question for you, Wendy, is: Can you just define anthropology and homardiology and tell us how they are related to each other? I can do that. Um, and and I'm using definitions from Zuber, the the Zuber book that we used really through our class, the Essential Scriptures. Um, and he defines anthropology as the study of man's origin and nature, and homardiology as the study of man's fall and sin. And so, um, what you guys listening in podcast world don't know is that we actually recorded this one time and did anthropology all by itself. But while we recorded that, I was studying and preparing to teach on homardiology. And I just was really, 
I, I grew in my understanding of why most theology studies link those two together. They are not taught separately because they are so closely related. Um, and, and if you want to put it in practical terms, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and four of those present man in his state that is um, not corrupt, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. And so 1,185 chapters in between have to talk about how God took him from the fallen state back into a state where he could live with him forever. And so, um, so again, that just drove home to me that those two just, they need to be taught together. Um, some commentators call them the two sides of the same coin. Um, because they're so closely related. And so I just think it's important that we, in our talking of them, keep them together. Yeah, that's a pretty staggering statistic. I <laughs> yes. would not have yes. I would not have thought about that, but mm-hmm. that says a lot right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about the Imago Day. When we're talking about anthropology, that's that's a term that we can hear floated around. So what does it actually mean? And what it actually means is in the image of God. So it's a Latin phrase. What does it spiritually mean? There's some mystery there. And so in this podcast, if you think you're about to get that all resolved, <laughs> let me just go ahead and give myself the freedom to say, though, I'm not going to resolve, but I, I would love to talk about um, some of that. But can I throw a question back to you two? And, and what do you think of the image of God when you've heard that phrase before? What does it mean to you? I always think just that we're created in the image of God and that because of that, that gives some value to every human life. Um, So that's one thing I think about when I hear that term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that we're set apart from the rest of creation because we're created in God's image. Um, Yeah, that we have that logic and those thinking abilities and emotions, I think, and that we're able to reflect God's character. Yeah. 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 All of those things are incorporated. So I just think it's always curious to hear, but, um, so perhaps if you ever follow numbers as I do, the population recently hit 8 billion. Um, but it's also said that approximately 117, excuse me, 117 billion people have lived since, the beginning of recorded time, I guess, time, um, which means there are 117 billion unique image bearers. And as Bethany, as you said, those all 117 billion have value and worth because they bear the image of their creator. Um, And it also speaks to our God. Um, It's not just about us. It's really about God that he has designed each of those individuals specifically, uniquely, carefully, and he knows each one of them intimately um, and loves them deeply. And that's that's where our value comes from. It's not in anything we do or we bring to that equation. It's in who he made us to be um, and that he stamped us with his image and that we bear his image. Um, and so that's just really kind of mind-blowing. We, we say that, we've state those, you know, in very um, practical terms, but then when you really think about that, that, that God created that many individuals uniquely and loves them all is, is pretty mind-blowing. So, but what does that mean more practically then when we talk about this image of God that we bear? And what we know um, from Genesis 1 
And starting in um, verse, let's see, verse 25, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we will continue in chapter 2 of Genesis where it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So two places in Genesis 1 and 2, and there's a change because at the beginning of Genesis 1 when we see the recounting of creation, it's, it follows a pattern. And God said, and God said, and God said, and then all of a sudden, and God let us make and then God formed. And if we go to the creation of the woman from the rib, it says, um, from the rib taken, God made a woman. Well, that made has also been translated as built or fashioned. fashioned. Yeah. yeah. And so we see just that personal involvement of God in the creation of man. And um, he got his hands dirty, if you, if you want to put him in human terms. Um, he really got into the dust and when he made man special. And it's also interesting if you go to the terms used, all those in God said and God said and God said is Elohim. That is God the creator, the mighty, the powerful, the one who spoke creation into existence. And yet when we move into Genesis 2 and it says the Lord God, that is Lord, all caps, Yahweh, that is the covenant-keeping, personal, faithful God that was involved in the creation of mankind. That's interesting. I didn't I didn't know that, but it it has implica- implications. That's it's it says this is a this is different and yeah. there will out and it speaks to God wanting to have a relationship with us, correct? I I would say so. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And I think that is tied into that Imago Dei, that being made in his image fitted us to have a relationship mm-hmm. with him, different than any other part of his creation. Um, Adam and Eve walked with him, talked with him, interacted with him in the garden, naked and unashamed. There was no barrier between them and him when they were created in their sinless state um, before Genesis chapter 3. So <laughs> two chapters in, um, we get to that. And, and so, But we do want to acknowledge, too, that though they were made in the image and likeness, there was a distinction. They were not they were the, the same as... Yes, they were the created. He is the creator. And and in that bearing his image, they were able to display his character. You talked about that, to reflect his character to the world. Um, and we know, too, when that creation of man was complete, that is the first time God said it was very good. Um, and so those are some initial thoughts. What are any thoughts you, too, would add to that in your own study? I just think there are so many implications Mm -hmm. to being made in the image of God Mm -hmm. and our worth being found in the fact that we're made in the image of God. Like it just, it impacts how we uh, relate with other people, how we think of ourselves even. Um, You know, we're going to get to homardiology, Mm -hmm. which causes some problems with all of that. But the thrust of, of creation is that we were created good and in his image, right? I mean, would we... We would say that, right? That that's 
that's the first thing that's said. So I think that's important. Yeah, I just keep thinking too, you know, um, it has implications for, you know, people that are born with disabilities or, you know, whatever we decide, whatever society defines as a defect or not. You know, these are still image bearers of God. Um, so I think it has a lot of implica- implications just practically in our society. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and I think it's important when you bring up people with disabilities, um, they don't bear the image less than anybody else. They bear the image fully and, and they reflect their creator just as much as those who are deemed to have no disabilities, if you will. Correct. And Mm -hmm. so, again, it's not what we bring. It's not our abilities or our, I mean, because then if you, you know, logic and reason we talk about, but it's not those who are quote unquote smarter Mm -hmm. that bear the image any better. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and that's where you started this conversation, Bethany, and just saying, you know, we all have value and worth, every created individual because they bear the image of God. Yeah. The unborn, the elderly, people we disagree with. I'm just thinking of all the ways, yeah, <laughs> all absolutely. the ways that it applies to everyday life. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you try and start looking at people through those eyes, you're more apt to demonstrate grace, compassion. It, it should make us treat people differently, unfortunately, than sometimes we do. Yeah. So. Very true. So I'll just kind of sum up this before we move towards homardiology. Um, John MacArthur, in, in his book on systematic theology, kind of outlines just some things that the implications, as you said, that that go are distinct about man's creation. And we've said some of them, that he was made for personality, with personality and for relationship. Um, he was made to rule and subdue creation. He was made as a propagator of the human race to, to populate the earth. Um, he was also made to be a recipient of, as, as MacArthur says, the rich and plentiful bounty all around him. And, and I'm not sure, because we exist in this fallen world with weeds and, and all these things, you know, to imagine what it's going to be like to walk in the garden again um, in its restored state, um, just the beauty. And, and we can acknowledge things in nature we love now that are beautiful, and yet they're just they're dwarfed in, into what we will see one day. Um, and lastly, he says, you know, um, what we were just talking about, um, just that relationship that the personalities we have, the uniqueness of our personalities, and, um, and the way we're able to, to communicate and interact with one another in, in those things. And so I think that kind of sums us up. That tells us, you know, how we were created in the image that Adam and Eve were able to walk in the garden naked and unashamed, and then comes Genesis 3. Well, yeah. that's a good segue. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we were created good, but something happened. We didn't stay that way for long, did we? Not in that state. So, homardiology then. So, can you get us in there and just give us a definition of sin? Sometimes... We say that word a lot, but we don't know the definition. So what's your working definition of sin? What, well, I'm going to give you not mine, but, but several working definitions <laughs> of sin. Um, 
if you go to the Westminster Catechism, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, stated simply. Um, something that we have talked about before, and I know a lot of families at our church have used the New City Catechism, say that sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. And so that um, is a statement of what sin, it's what separates us. And then you can go on into scripture in 1 John 3, 4, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So that, that puts it forward um, very clearly. And if you continue to study sin, you'll find that there are multiple words used for sin um, within scripture, transgression, sin, iniquity, trespass. You can get into all these and There are different words because they have slightly different meanings. Um, A transgression is a willful trespass or an intentional disobedience, whereas a sin um, is just doing something against God or a person, doing the opposite of what's right. An iniquity is to continue in your sin without demonstrating repentance. And then a trespass is just crossing a line, and that can be intentional or unintentional. And if you've ever studied Leviticus, most people dodge it, but it talks about those sins with intention and those sins not. And so there is a distinction. Um, But the point is, whatever term, whatever the, the meaning of it, you can go back to what the New City Catechism said. All of those things result in our death and the disintegration of all creation. That is what our sin deserves. Um, And that is what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, that's interesting. I was reading in Hebrews about unintentional sins, and I was like, man, even, even these ones that we don't even realize that we're committing are still an affront to God, but he makes a way for redemption. But that's another episode, so I won't jump too far ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was I was talking uh, with um, a friend and coworker here earlier today about sin and and just how, you know, as you talked about how it leads to death, but it also leads to deterioration and corruption. Mm-hmm. And I think unrepentant sin in our life, it doesn't it doesn't just stay in its little box. Unrepentant sin will affect, it'll, it'll seep out into other areas. And so it, it's, it's kind of like it will compound and, you know, will, it'll, I don't want to say create other sins, but it doesn't just stay contained. Um, I think, I think it starts to, we start to see other sins then in our life, um, when there's unrepentant sin. Mm-hmm. So, and then of course, that doesn't even talk about the ripple effects on other people right. and right. things around us. So, yeah, there's that's, that also. That's what I was thinking. Like, mm-hmm. no one sins in a vacuum. So, no. it, it affects mm-hmm. everyone. And that's, you know, without getting into detail, we had a situation with on our neighborhood and you know, somebody far removed from my kids and yet their sin is still affecting, you know, mine and kind of what they've been exposed to and stuff. So anyway, um, it's just interesting how far reaching Mm -hmm. that it can be. 
Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, I send leads to others. I mean, you see that in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned, when she gave in to, you know, she saw, she took, she ate. Um, then what did she do? She turned and gave it to her husband. And then fear came in. And then they tried to cover and they hid and they blamed each other. I mean, you can just mm-hmm, see mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. progression right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have to learn that progression. No. <laughs> Anybody that's, just... that's had a toddler knows that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it was introduced into their world, it just reverberated throughout. It just kept going and the progression happened. Um, and, and Psalm 51 reminds us when David says, against you and you only have I sinned. All sin is against God, and all sin is very serious, and all sin deserves death. And um, the truth is, unless you make much of your sin, and churches, churches do not teach a whole lot about sin. We have kind of moved away from that. But unless we make much of sin, we're not going to make much of God. Because that's our sin. Those 1,185 chapters are God unfolding his plan so that we can live with him again for eternity. And um, our sin necessitated that. And so when you said that, I think of the hymn, one of my favorite hymns now is, um, what is it? My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Mm -hmm. It's such a great song with wonderful theology. Um, but yeah, it just, his mercy is more, um, yeah. It, but you're right, we have to, we don't get to his mercy until we've acknowledged and recognized our sin. And, and our sin continues to reveal the full character of God. I mean, his grace and his mercy are poured out against our sin. And so it does just reveal in full who our God is. So. Well, when you were teaching, Wendy, I, I kind of pulled out these three statements that you made about homardiology. So what you said was, man was created without sin, man was corrupted by sin, and man was conformed by the one who conquered sin. So can you talk us through those points? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Not as much as you want, Wendy. <laughs> Never enough, but you can you can touch on them, right? Podcasts are intended to be shorter, right? So we will try and simplify. And we've talked some in the Imago Dei about being created without sin. In that image of God, um, Adam was created without sin. But we know Adam was created with the capacity to sin because he sinned. Um, And he's not God. I mean, that's a (laughs) distinction, right, between the created and the creator. Yeah. And um, I didn't say he had a sin nature. I know we're we're splitting hairs there, but he obviously had the capacity to to sin sin. because he sinned. And we know that that sin separated him um, from God. Their absence of sin in their created state allowed them to walk with God and interact with him face-to-face. There was no separation between them and their God. Um, But we know that Adam and Eve became sinners because they sinned. You and I, however, sin because we are born as sinners. We inherited Adam's sin. Um, Romans talks about that. Others talk about that. Um, That sin was passed down to us that started in the garden, but I, well. I, I agree completely with that statement, but I always like to th- 
add, like, if I had been in the garden, I would have sinned. Like, you know, yes, I sin now because I have a sin nature, but there isn't all of us with the capacity to sin would have chosen to sin in the garden. Yeah, so true. Because that was God's plan. (laughs) Because if, I mean, I I don't, I never, I've never figured out how to say this like perfectly clearly, but if, if he hadn't, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, it would have remained our responsibility to be sin free. That was never God's plan for us to exist in our own capacity without sin. That was his plan to send his son Mm -hmm. to cover our sin and allow us to be with him forever. And um, oh, I could ask all kinds of questions. I don't want to get into. Um, I think it goes back to the creator versus the created. Mm. But I'll save some of my questions for offline. <laughs> Does That's anything need fun. clarification? I don't like no, to leave no, that in no. this whole world of whoever's going to no. be listening. Um, no, yeah, and so. But but I think you have to, and I know we're going to, I'm not jumping to soteriology, another episode, but you have to see the grace that was exhibited in the garden because God had told them, if you do this, this is the consequence. And he could, death could have been instated right then, but it wasn't their death. Death was instated. It wasn't theirs. It was the death of an animal to provide the skin to cover. The coverings that they tried to provide for themselves out of leaves were insufficient, and and God made the covering, and they accepted that covering and received His grace. Um, he, and He went looking for them. Yeah, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He did remove them from His presence again as an act of grace, mm-hmm. um, but He made a way for them to then re-enter His presence, and and that's what you and I live in this where we will be restored, um, not because of anything we do or anything we maintain but because of Christ's sacrificial death. So so man was created without sin, but man was corrupted by sin. And I, I think I probably just blurred that line as I went into that. And, and sin did separate man from God. In tulip terms, if you are a, know of five-point Calvinism, this is the T. This is that man is totally depraved. This does not mean, though, that he is as awful as he can be, but it means he is rotten to the core, pun intended, um, ate the fruit. And, that, and that's, what, that's why I said any of us, it's because of total depravity. Yeah. Any of us would have taken the fruit. Yes. We would have chosen that fruit. Mm-hmm. And, and you can do all kinds of studies for time's sake on a podcast. I mean, it is that desire within that gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. James talks about that. Um, R.C. Sproul uses the term radically corrupt. He doesn't. He just feels like that, and that is us because radical gets to the heart. We are corrupt all the way to the root, to the core, to the heart, and um, and that is what we were left with by the fallout of sin. Um, when Adam and Eve fell, we fell too, and God made a way. And so, but if we don't, I, I love what Thomas Watson says: "Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet." We have to understand that just the horror of our sin um, so that we understand what Christ did on our behalf. And, and we don't want to minimize sin because when we do that, we minimize the cross. We feel like oh, my sin's not that bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I can look at my own life and say, you know, I wasn't one of those that did this, this, or this. Um, 
but my sin still deserved death and still sent my Savior to the cross. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so when we talk about sin, I don't want to cut you off. I know I, I'm doing a lot of talking, but um, that original sin left us with a lack of righteousness and an inclination towards unrighteousness. And that's why we say we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Um, That is just our natural disposition now. And so there's that original sin. But then as believers, we also contend with indwelling sin. And that's, Paul talked about it, I I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. There is that battle that goes on. I love Alistair Begg. I can't get through many teaching opportunities without, <laughs> without talking about bringing Alistair. Begg into the conversation, but he says sin is always an inside job. You can't say the devil made me do it. And you, we all can envision that, you know, the good, the angel and the devil sitting on your shoulder, the devil, the devil made me do it. No, it is an inside job. There is it's that corruption heart. within our it's own not the heart. Devil, it's not our heart. So true. Um, the thought becomes the action, becomes a habit, becomes our character and determines our destiny. Um, but God intervenes in that progression and, and changes what we deserve of, of death for those who are his. Um, Galatians 5.17, I think, makes it very clear when it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we are in a battle. We need to prepare for battle We need to take up our sword, and Ephesians tells us our sword is the word of God. We need to be in it so that we can fight that battle well. And we need to remember that we're not in the battle alone. We are surrounded by the body of Christ. Um, We have brothers and sisters that we are going to battle with, and we need to trust them and and depend on them. You're getting into another podcast. (laughs) I know, but I get to go there because that's coming. and so, so yeah, I know it's, but this is what we saw this semester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to pull these, all these doctrines apart, especially now that we're talking about really more how they're all related. Um, it's, it's hard to talk about them in isolation. So yes, I know I have blurred a whole lot of lines and I'm not even done. So man was created without sin. He was corrupted by sin. But the good news then um, is that he is conformed through the one who defeated sin. And so our fall deserves death. But the curse is going to be um, reversed. We were made in the image. The image was corrupted at the fall. We are not able to reflect it perfectly any longer. But he is doing a work to conform us back to that image. And, um, and it tells us, it promises us that when we see him, we will be like him. And that all happens through the spirit that he places within us, that, that takes up residence, that dwells within us as he uses his word, his spirit, and his body, the church, in that transformation, confirmation process um, of making us like Christ, which we in the church often use another big theological word, sanctification, and that's that process going on. So just one more verse to sum up that thought. Um, This is from 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, that says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know, one of the things, I don't even remember where it was throughout our classes, and this had never occurred to me. In in heaven, I knew we would, you know, we would be without sin, but we'll also be without the struggle 
against sin. Mm -hmm. And I had never thought of that. And that is like, I, I mean, like, take me now. I mean, the struggle for sin, the struggle with sin in this world is, it's hard and it's exhausting. It's unrelenting, really. Um, and so I just thought, oh, it will be so wonderful to not have to struggle because we won't have that sin nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll, as you said, we will truly be reflecting his um, image and his character. So, yeah, I, yeah, that, that was a new, that was like a new aha moment for me this sometime this past semester. So, yeah, that total depravity, it just, it Mm -hmm. infects everything. You know, it's not, it's not that we're as bad as we possibly could be all the time, but it's, it's that sin just touches every part of creation and we have to live with that as a reality, but we will not have to live with that reality forever. And that's getting into eschatology, which we'll talk about another day too. But yeah, as as Wendy said, we've touched on all things. Do you have? I, I just more? want to be sure and, and clarify that we talk about um, man created without sin, corrupted by sin, and being conformed. That the battle against sin has already been won. Um, it and I talked about that we are in a battle and we are waging war and we need and that is ongoing, but but it is settled. At the same time, Mm -hmm. um, because of what Christ did when he defeated death on the cross, when he was resurrected. He gave us his righteousness. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And he rendered sin powerless. Mm -hmm. So we are no longer under the dominion. We are dealing with indwelling sin. Um, But I just want to be very clear on that, that Christ won that battle. He defeated it. It is not it does not hold dominion over us. And you are in Christ anymore. Right. And the struggle is not for like a works-based thing. Yeah. Like I'm trying to earn God's favor. Right. The struggle is just like Paul talked about. You, I don't want to sin. Or I turn around and I'm like, I did that again. You know, that's the, that's the struggle. Um, honestly, we wouldn't even have, we wouldn't have that kind of struggle if God hadn't already done a work in our heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is so, so true. Um, but. And and that's a good point, and I, I'm not sure I said it, um, but indwelling sin is something that believers battle. Mm-hmm. Unbelievers deal with the original sin because they inherit that, but but believers battle indwelling sin um, in that going on. And so there is a distinction there. So I, I can just, unless somebody else wants to add, I'll just, to just in conclude, I'll just say the image in which we were created was marred. And by grace, through the power of the Spirit, is being restored so that we will once again be able to dwell face-to-face with God forever. And um, that's our hope. That's His promise. And we know He's doing that work. So, yeah. Anthropology and homardiology. Yeah, yeah. to end on. Yes, yeah. I know. I was thinking, you know, when the kids all storm the castle here for VBS, they a lot of times will say... Before we can hear the good news, we have to have the bad news, which is that we're all sinners. So I feel like that's what we've kind of... Isn't that the first eight (laughs) books of Roman? (laughs) Exactly. So we've kind of laid that out, uh, but with hope. And 
then our next episode actually will be on soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. So um, we will be back to talk more about that. And we'll have Marty with us, Marty Crabtree, next time to talk about soteriology. So you'll want to subscribe to the podcast so that it, it comes right to your phone when the episode comes out. So thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next time. The Theology Matters course and podcast are projects of the women's ministry at Emanuel Bible Church in Springfield, Virginia. Please subscribe to Theology Matters wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, please visit ibc.church and find the women's ministry page. We pray you will continue to study and understand the truth of God's word every day and see just how much theology matters in every aspect of our lives.